and welcome to this, uh, I hope, very exciting, or I'm sure very exciting discussion about the future of journalism. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Warren, uh, and I'm the Federal Secretary of the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, which is the professional association of trade unions that is for Australia's media community, uh, and as such, I'm a trustee of the Walkley Foundation. Uh, so on behalf of the Foundation, I'm pleased to welcome you to this evening's session. Uh, this is the first of a new Walkley's talk series uh, called Future Fridays, and our panel will be discussing their thoughts on the rather big question of where is journalism heading? Uh, I want to acknowledge and pay respects to the traditional owners of the land on which we're meeting uh, and all the elders past and present of the Wadjuk people of the Noongar Nation. Uh, of course, a big thank you to our friends here at Curtin University for their support for the Walkleys, including providing this afternoon's venue. Independently funded, the Walkley Foundation's core mission is to foster excellence in journalism and support a robust and independent media which deepens and enriches our democracy. We keen to get more people talking both within our industry and in the broader community about the value of great Australian journalism. With the rapid technological change of recent years, we've been watching closely the new ways in which journalists are working, how they're telling great stories and how they're making the most of the new, the new tools to tell those stories, how they're diversifying their skills and how media organisations are looking to fund quality journalism. Uh, it can be hard to experiment in the business sense when resources are tight and traditional models are challenging. That's why I'm excited tonight to hear from the changes here, here afoot in Perth, uh, and I'm looking to hear what Brett McCarthy can share about the cutting-edge approach his newsroom is taking. Another issue close to the heart of all journalists is the insidious threat from our government to the way journalists work. Under the mantle of anti-terror legislation, journalists and whistleblowers can now face up to 10 years jail for reporting on sensitive areas of national security. It's just one aspect one aspect of what feels like a concerted campaign to silence journalists in Australia. Uh, our laws vary from state to state on whether journalists have a right or to what extent journalists have a right to protect their confidential source. Uh, and so tonight, Curtin's own Joseph Fernandez will share his latest very important research on shield laws uh, in journalism. So without that, uh, without further ado, I'm now going to introduce our speakers. Before we get started, please switch off your mobile phone, or, or at least I should say, switch your mobile phone to silence so that you can join in the conversation on social media using the hashtag, hashtag uh, I hope we'll have a bit of time for questions at the end, but Geraldine will uh, look after that. Now, to our panel. Uh, on the far end uh, is Madonna King. Uh, Madonna's an award-winning journalist, author, and commentator. Uh, for a long time, she was the voice of current affairs in Queensland, heading the top-rating current affairs program on the ABC for six years and winning several national ABC awards. Uh, her fifth and most recent book uh, is a biography of Federal Treasurer Joe Hockey, titled Hockey, Not Your Average Joe. Uh, at the other end is Joseph Fernandez, who is the head of Curtin University's journalism department and the author of Media Law in Australia, Principles, Pitfalls and Potentials. He was the chief editor of a daily newspaper in Malaysia for 14 years before pursuing tertiary studies in Australia and joining academia in 1999. And his academic work has focused on media law and, as I said earlier, his current research focuses on 
Shia laws and the protection of journalists' confidential sources. Uh, next to him is Brett McCarthy, who's the editor of the West Australian. Uh, Brett started his journalism career in 1984 as a cadet reporter with The Telegraph, Brisbane's then afternoon newspaper, if anyone's old enough to remember afternoon newspapers. Uh, after working as a reporter and later an editor, the Brisbane Daily Sun, the Daily Mirror in Sydney, the Daily Telegraph in Sydney and the Sunday Telegraph all in Sydney, he moved to Perth in 2001 as editor of the Sunday Times. Uh, and in 2009, he was appointed editor of the West Australian. Uh, and of course, between them is your moderator tonight, Geraldine Doom, who is a renowned Australian journalist and broadcaster with experience in print, television and radio. During her career with both the ABC and in commercial media, she's won two Penguins Awards for excellence in broadcasting from the Television Society of Australia and the United Nations Media Peace Prize. Would you please welcome our panel and I'll leave you in Geraldine's paper. Thank you, Chris. But no war, please, you see. That's the great <laughs> Maybe. You never know before I finish my career. Look, thank you all for, for coming along and thanks for everybody to be here today. I was thinking to myself, um, gosh, is, is there an answer? Where is journalism heading? And are we going to think short term, which bedevils, I think, so much of the public conversation around, or are we going to attempt to think medium and even, dare I say, long term? So it's pretty daunting when you think about our our industry, our beloved industry. Um, but I'm going to ask our panel to think what is immediately worrying them, but to also think five to ten years out. And I think it's such an intriguing time, um, given the radical restructuring, for instance, that you see in a, a lot of places. I'm certainly going through that at the moment at the ABC. And I have an intuitive sense that my managing director, Mark Scott, is on the right track. Though where on earth that track leads, I cannot say. And frankly, nor can he put words to exactly where we're going. So there's that sense of being on a magic carpet ride somewhere. And you're glad that, that somebody above you has ordered the right carpet. But <laughs> where the trip takes us, I really think is it's almost incumbent upon us to try to put words to that. That's how I see it now. So events like this, I think, do matter actually quite a lot. And I know that I'll be speaking here with all of you actually invited to tweet. <laughs> so, um, and I do think there's really sort of a, a gotcha type of mentality in tweeting as opposed to context providers. So it's, uh, it, is, it is challenging to think about some of the things we're going to be talking about. And um, so I ask you to think about that. Uh, in terms of some of the... I hope we can be quite candid about our workplaces, but that's a challenge in, in, the, in, the, in the time of the Twitter sphere. So I'm going to ask each... Before I go on to the areas that I know they're particularly keen about, I'm going to ask each of our panellists... I've asked them just now, so they're just thinking now of the answers. What are the two key influences of change that they would nominate in the last, say, five years... And where do they think those changes are actually taking, taking their industry? Uh, so I'm going to invite them to try to put words to that, even if the answers are pretty nondescript. I think that'll be useful. So Madonna, how would you answer that? Off the top of my head, my gut is the two of them are social media as a distribution method for content. Um, and so an individual uh, tweet, a person tweeting can have as many followers as a radio broadcast. And so I think that 
delivery of content and who is delivering that content is a big change. And the other one I would nominate is the cult of personality, and that may be Andrew Bolt, it may be Annabelle Crabb, but it's the influence of an individual. That's what I'd say I'd nominate off the top of my head. And do you like that? I think it's got enormous benefits and enormous dangers. For journalism? For journalism, because let's just take Twitter. It horrified me in Brisbane. We had a big murder case. Uh, Gerald Baden Clay, this upstanding member of the community, was found guilty of the murder of his wife, who was just, she was you and me. She was a mum, three little kids, working hard, um, big in her community. And just watching Twitter during that court case drove me crazy. I thought at any point it could be thrown out because someone was saying something on background that if a lawyer got hold of and introduced into that court case, we'd be starting again. And that's not just on Twitter. Working as um, a presenter on local radio, uh, it horrified me young producers coming in that hadn't done some degree um, of, of legal studies in terms of what's defamatory and what's not. Because it used to be you publish it in the newspaper and it's defamatory and it's sitting there. But you just publish it under your name on Twitter and you are publishing something. And I think people don't understand that and I think that is a huge area that it's, someone's going to be heartbroken before that's addressed. So the benefits are great. You look at the um, uh, cyclone in Queensland today. Uh, I've got two little girls at a school. Schools are closing. Uh, I could phone my husband, but he doesn't know half the content he should, and he won't answer his phone the first time. I can get on Twitter and find out exactly what the school's saying about what time they should be picked up and where they should be picked up. So it's bypassing traditional media in a way, and you can opt in and out. You don't have to. I love newspapers, but I don't have to get the newspaper and go through every page now. I can just go to those, those people I follow whose information content I trust. Uh, and I keep coming back to content because I think, you know, whether it's in the West Australian, whether it's on Twitter, wherever it is, it, whether it's on Four Corners and what we saw the other night, mm. it doesn't so much matter the delivery vehicle, it's whether you trust the information and whether it's good information. Brett, how would you answer it? Uh, look, and I like the answer about social media, but and, and I think, yeah, these, these two things are intimately linked. But for the commercial media, our revenue model is broken um, or has you know, serious dents in it at the moment. And um, we, we actually, we still do have ads in the, in the West Australian, um, but uh, you know, they, it is getting much tougher. So we, with, with, a, with a revenue model where we don't quite know how we're going to keep funding what we do, um, that makes life very, very tough. And it, it links into my second and, and, and my point more about journalism uh, is that um, I think one of the big dangers that we face is um, being caught up in the, in the moment, the now, uh, and not giving our people time to look more broadly Absolutely. and really do things in depth and do them properly. Um, I think that uh, we can be so um, wound up in the minute by minute uh, and trying to be the first person to publish something on a website or the first yeah. person to tweet it. Yeah. It's, it's come down to seconds. I mean, Sky News were claiming a, a, a win the other day because they told me 
30 seconds before the ABC that the vote was 61-39. I mean, does it really matter? Um, 30 seconds? Well, uh, does it? Well, I, I struggle to, to know whether that really, really matters. You know, whether, whether someone tells me within a, you know, a good period of time, whether it's 30 seconds or so, but it seems to, it seems to uh, matter in a certain part of the world. So I think that that, that idea that you know, we have to be able to you know, give our people time um, to, to stand back uh, and look at uh, you know, whatever it is, topics, whether it's the government or, or whatever area we want to delve into, um, time to do that sort of work. And that's a constant battle. It's a battle for me. I, we still have to fill a newspaper every day uh, with less resource. Um, and um, you know, to give people time, it's a, it's a luxury. And the luxury of, of that time is, uh, is, is getting less and less. Um, I, I do still find that we can do it, um, but it takes a commitment and it takes a little bit of you know, sometimes jumping off a cliff and saying, well, let's just you know, put that person out of play for uh, you know, two weeks, three weeks, a month or whatever mm -hmm. to do that work. And uh, if, they, if it comes off, it'll be good. And, 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 it, and it pays off because it, usually that sort of work then, when, it, when we break it, when we put it in the newspaper, it'll last for you know, days, not a one-off story. So. And does anybody argue with you? Like, is this a debate among um, you and your high team or not? Uh, no, it's not, not a, it's not a debate, although it, it can be difficult to, you know, the, someone who, you know, the person who runs our reporting staff, the chief of staff, uh, probably the most stressful position in any newspaper. And, um, you know, they know better than anyone there the daily battle of, you know, getting a newspaper away. And they know that uh, if, 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 if we put that person aside to do something that's sort of three or four weeks down the track, the payoff might be there, but uh, it's going to make my life harder today. And uh, I've, you know, you, you slowly uh, engender that feeling amongst the chief of staff that yes, it is worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it, and we're going to keep doing it. Um, and I've been able to uh, do that at the West. We've got some great people who you know, can really, who can do that sort of work really well. Um, so to me, that's the thing. Being caught up in this constant treadmill of you know, making that website tick over uh, from opposed to doing journalism that I think really counts. Yeah. Joseph. Thank you. <coughs> uh, one of the things that uh, immediately sprang to my mind in trying to prepare my thoughts uh, for today's limited window in which you can convey uh, your thoughts uh, was something of a bit more abstract uh, and that is what exactly is this journalism mean? The term journalism used to be fairly easy to construe. Um, 10, 20 years ago, uh, you worked in a recognized media organization. You had certain uh, level of professional skills, and you produced certain content that met certain thresholds, certain standards. And these days, uh, it's loosely said that everyone is a journalist. Everyone. Anyone's got uh, access to a keyboard uh, is potentially a journalist. And I think that's one of the challenges that uh, someone like Brett constantly faces. Because when you talk of journalism in that sense, then uh, you ask whether you are looking at the individual that claims to be that person who's a journalist, or do you say disregard the individual, the descriptor for the individual, and look at the content that is being produced. And you might be surprised at the kind of answers that you get because a journalist may produce non-journalistic content and vice versa. 
And so at the end, uh, what is it that people are after? And I think a very important question is, are they willing to pay for it? And if they are not willing to pay for it, the people that we rely on to generate that content, who are they? You know, the, the, one of the Asian saying is, sayings is, uh, you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. Uh, so, you know, good journalism, good journalistic content is not cheap to produce. Uh, I've just done a swing through uh, uh, the various uh, main cities of Australia and I was quite uh, impressed with some organizations where the editors basically give a blank check to their staff and I'm sure you give a blank check to <laughs> some of your luminaries uh, to go and do what they need to do, just bring me back the content. I don't care how you got it, how much it costs. We need a Walkley Award and uh, there is that support. But there's a whole lot of other things that people consume uh, that tends to compete with what establishments like the West Australian or other mainstream media organizations who hire people and pay them well uh, need to contend with. And so that's a huge challenge. Uh, when it comes to uh, the legal environment, I'm glad Madonna mentioned that as one of the factors. Uh, there's another whole set of uh, factors that needs to be taken into account because we are talking of the transaction of information. Who is entitled to be demanding information? Who is entitled to be recognized as licensed to enter the budget room to be given the documents 24 hours in advance? Uh, your, your citizen journalist and your blogger is not necessarily the sort of person that will be let into that door. So there's that kind of uh, imperative at work as well. And so you find that there is a certain kind of uh, implicit licensing that's happening. And then you ask, you know, in a, in a society that subscribes to uh, values of democracy and transparency and openness and freedom of speech and so on, why should anyone be licensed? to partake of that business of communicating information. I come from an environment where our newspaper license would expire on the 31st of December automatically. Yeah. And I remember in many years on the 29th of December, while I was on my Christmas holidays being asked by my employer to follow up with the Ministry of Home Affairs, can we publish on the 1st of January because our license hasn't arrived. And so, you know, we, 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 in a sense, uh, I found Australia a very blessed place to be in because we don't have to contend with that. But hang on, is it really all that rosy? And as, you, uh, as Chris Warren just alluded to, uh, this is no bed of roses either. And so, so, if you, so, you're, so you're more <coughs> fearful, just to sort of bring it back to you, are more fearful, are you, for the immediate future than, than excited? Uh, uh, I, I'm definitely uh, fearful, anxious, uh, worried, yes, all of those things. And at times I wonder uh, whether we are in a very sophisticated, subtle way going down the path of those dictatorial, tyrannical regimes that we frown upon. Yeah. Okay. Very, well, um, I want to ask, I, I am going to come, I mean, there are so many follow-up questions, I suppose, uh, but I do want to go specifically to some of the things that I know are preoccupying uh, Brett and Madonna. Like, you've got this new integrated newsroom, and in fact, Chris alluded to this. Now, how do you, do you think that is changing the, the, the mentality of the collection of news? It will. Um... It will. We, uh, Channel 7 Perth move into our newsroom on Monday, so 
and, and this is a project that you know, has been two years in the making and uh, started from a point of uh, uh, they were going to move into our building and be somewhere else and you know, we've got to where we are today, we've rebuilt our newsroom uh, and we, yeah, we'll, we'll be the only fully integrated newsroom in the country that's producing you know, daily newspaper, TV, commercial TV bulletins, um, website, uh, other digital products around the edges of that, um, public affairs show, um, uh, news updates, the whole thing. So no one, no one else can do it. There's no other media organisation have got those assets um, all together anyway, and we're lucky enough to have them all together in one city. So um, I think um, that the, what, what we will have, and this is our, to me, this is our, this is our future. This is a, a newsroom that will have an immense amount of um, journalistic talent and brain power um, all put together. And I'm hoping, and uh, I know the news director of Channel 7 and I have worked very closely on this together, what, what, we, what we envisage and what we're working towards is a place where, um, yeah, we, we have got time to give people um, a room to, to do stuff that will end up you know, being uh, More than great, everyday. great journalism, but we've got enough firepower there to, to cover off the, the everyday as well. Um, and that as we move you know, down the track, and we, we've already got people who do a bit of TV and a bit of, you know, a bit of both. I've got, I've got you know, people who, who do some of that already. Um, Steve Pennells is one who you know, does TV and, and still writes for the paper, and there's others within our staff. But we will expand that, that skilled base of, of the people in our newsroom and, and hopefully have a really just powerful newsroom of you know, journalistic thinking that will uh, be able to you know, break big stories in, in Western Australia and cover it across all those platforms, all the platforms that we, we need to do. Um, I, you know, having, like Chris mentioned, you know, 1984 I started, so it's, you know, 30, it's over 30 years now. Um, and to be able to do this um, and to, to do something you know, brand new um, is, is a really exciting thing. So you thing. found it very invigorating? Absolutely invigorating. You know, editing daily newspapers can sort of beat you down after a while, uh, and doing it for you know, six years uh, can, can do that. And this has really given me a new lease in life, and just seeing the possibilities of it before we've even got into the same room. I, I think probably the most common phrase that's used by people in our place at the moment is, oh, won't this be easier when we're all together? Because we, we do a lot of stuff together already, and won't, you know, won't we be able to work well together on this? I mean, for instance, t tomorrow in the West, um, we're going to break a, a story about a young West Australian uh, who uh, is a, a university student who we've discovered is uh, in Iraq uh, and uh, fighting with ISIS, uh, the first one that we've been able to identify as a West Australian. Um, and uh, that's the, the newspaper has that story. Um, the reporter happens to be a reporter who uh, did work for Channel 7 for a long time. So he's able to, um, he'll, he'll go off the top of the news tonight, they'll cross to our newsroom and say, you know, Grant Taylor's going to... Hear the full story tomorrow, Grant, read Grant, the full yeah, story. So Grant Taylor's going to break a significant story in the West tomorrow, Grant, what are you going to do? And he'll, he'll, he'll talk for 30 seconds about it and say, you know, look, look in the West tomorrow. So they're the sort of things, I, and I think you know, we, we, we will be able to embark, I'll be able to... You know, say to my people uh, um, and, and with the cooperation of uh, Seven, you know, let's put a couple of people, one of our people and one of Seven's people together um, and have a look at Topic X and come back in two weeks and produce um, you know, three days of reports in the newspaper that will be backed up by which stuff on, nice on TV. Nice dovetailing, right? Which will dovetail together. They're the sort of things that we're, 
we're looking at, at, at doing in that integrated environment and slowly you know, broadening the skill base of everyone in there. Um, and I think it's important. I think that um, journalists themselves need to be able to produce content that can be used across any part of any platform and uh, um, that, that's what we'll, we'll do. We'll give the skills to the, the people in there to be able to do that. And wait, it's not going to be compulsory. Not every newspaper journalist will end up on the TV and, and vice versa, but the ones who, who want to at the moment. But I think you know, long term we'll end up hiring people who can do both. Very interesting. That, that's a that's fascinating. It's um, not, and the, the the other interesting thing about it, and I'm sorry I don't want to take over and talk about about us forever, but it it, it does excite me is that this this isn't you can't go a lot of places around the world and find this. It's yeah, there's not yeah, there's more than a handful, but there's not dozens and dozens of places where newsrooms like this exist. And in fact, we had to go to a few of the Scandinavian countries to find examples, to have a look at how they were doing it. And we, we didn't find anywhere that matched exactly what we'll be doing, but we took some really good workings out of um, uh, newspapers in uh, Helsinki and um, Copenhagen and places like that. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it really is, I think, a cutting-edge thing for the country, what we're going to do. Yeah. Well, it's wonderful to hear you excited. I mean, that, mm. that alone, to get an editor so excited is fantastic. It's very interesting. One of the things I've observed, and I was because when I was away on holiday in Germany, and of course, you know, you constantly use BBC World and mm. CNN when you're away and so on, and I really was struck this time by what I think is a byproduct of the 24-hour news thing, which is lack of angle getting. Yeah. And so please don't let that happen. No, so no. that there was this sort of incredible repetition yeah. and I suddenly saw the unbelievable conservatism of a lot of tweets so that you end up repeating uh, agreed um, over and over and over and over. And, over and, over and, over. Yeah. and, um, I, and there was a, it particularly happened, for, for instance, with the loss of MH, um, not MH17, the... the no, no, the Air Asia one that went down oh, recently. Yeah. And... Yeah. I was struck by, I suddenly heard one person, it was a BBC World, but it certainly happens now, saying that they referred, it. no, they had a grab of the man in charge of the Indonesian air rescue, said, we warned AirAsia not to go there. We warned them not to go there because of the weather. Hello? What? I'd never heard that, like I'd had been. So this was an extraordinary break, I thought, and I went back and watched and they were all just going over the pictures, and I thought this was an incredibly important... Now, he could have been trying to cover himself, because, you know, they can't... Yeah. But I didn't hear anybody properly refer to this, like, to include it in the their list of, of in breaking developments, you know. There was not... This was critical, yeah. sitting there, and I was screaming at the set, what did he say? What information did AirAsia get? Did they fly against, you know, do I have to wait 24 hours for... So, I mean, I, it was a real reminder of how there's a conservatism in the midst of that very bold new development of News24. There's a deep conservatism, in my opinion, as a, as a journalist of 40 years standing, creeping in. Mm. And so it, it, it's, it's the trick with vision, that vision has to be theoretically accompanied by pictures, and it forces back, because they didn't have any pictures. Well, they did actually have a picture of this guy saying this, but you know what I mean? There's, Do you think they just, just missed it, or...? My Miss, view was the that they or? that because the perception was that the Indonesians were under pressure yeah. and could have been covering their ass, as it were, they didn't actually accord it the respect it deserved. That was my judgment. Yeah. I, I mean, I, look, I, I think that um, you know, 
I've said to my people that what we're doing in our newsroom, it'll be interesting, it'll be exciting, there'll be a lot of change and you know, it'll be scary for some people and there's a whole lot of different feelings amongst um, you know, the, the, the floor of uh, journalists who are there. Um, but there's a, there's a few things, you know, like A, we can't be distracted from the task of you know, doing what we do. Uh, and I've always set out for, for years now, I've been on about the same things with, with, with our people that you know, we do three things. Don't worry too much about how, how our content's distributed, someone will work that out. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll work that out. We'll work out if it's you know, what device you can get it on and how you can get it. Um, and our consumers will tell us what, how they want to consume it, but you've got to get it first. Um, and you know, we need to, uh, the, the three things is you know, that we, we need to break stories that no one else has, um, pretty basic. We need to be able to spend time investigating things uh, and investigative journalism it can often be you know, a high and mighty sort of aim and you know, we're going to bring down a government or whatever, but I, I, I class investigative journalism and you know, looking at you know, local issues as well sure. in depth. Sure. Um, and, 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 and the third thing that I say to our people is that we cover big events better than anyone else. Let's, you know, we, we throw our heart and soul our into something. As soon as, as, soon as you know, if there's a big news event or a big community event, whatever it is, if we say this is something that's important to our readers, we, we go and we cover that better than anyone else. Is our, that's our aim. And, and I've said to our people, you know, the new news environment, this will, you know, it'll, it'll be great, it'll, it'll, there's so much possibility for, for all of us, but it all fails unless we do those things still well and keep doing them well for as long as we you know, can. Let, let me go to Madonna, because Madonna, like you've, this is your fifth book, I didn't realise that the Joe Hockey book was your fifth book. Why are so many journalists taking to writing books? Uh, in, you know about contemporary issues, and obviously adoring it. And um, you know, I've done it too. <laughs> so, why do you think? Do you think that's a development? Yeah, I do. I think um, it's about content. We were talking a little bit earlier. So now you can have content in um, forty-eight characters, is it, or you can have content in one hundred and ten thousand words. And it what fits you, really, isn't it? So I wrote books when someone asked me to write one, and I quite enjoyed it. And I went on the ABC for, for six years. But that thing of getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning, still being there at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, having two little children, one of them not a well girl, you know, and I just thought when someone else came and said, why don't you do this, I thought, thank you. You know, permission to stay at home, have a glass of wine, and... Um, and write. And, but, but still I, be a journalist. And still be a journalist. And I think it's a really interesting point that you brought up, I think, um, Joseph, in terms of, of what is journalism now, you know? And it, I think it can be that, that few words, but it can be a book too. And I also think, um, you know, it doesn't have to be breaking news. You take Kitchen Cabinet. That, in a way, I think there is a feeling among... Uh, people now that they don't necessarily want that gotcha like they used to. They don't want uh, a microphone down someone's face. And I, I think people enjoy knowing someone a little bit better. And in terms of our politicians, I remember being a very young journalist. Uh, it was 1989 and it was on the mock election campaign with Andrew Peacock. This was before... Uh, Prime Minister's abused hostesses or anything like that. We all drank to excess. And we were on this raft jet and drinking and dancing. And Andrew Peacock was fantastic. I was about maybe 18. He was like uh, this wonderful, funny, humorous human being. And I still remember landing in Canberra and him looking out, and it was a Channel 10 crew that had set up outside. And as a young journalist, seeing him walk down those stairs, and as he did, he became a cardboard cutout of who he was, 
he was no longer that personable. He was this, I don't know, this plastic person announcing platitudes. <coughs> Wayne Swan used to put on makeup before he came in for a radio interview just in case he ran into a TV interview at 3 o'clock in the morning. But he was the most personable when he said at the end of an interview, look, can I just say one other thing? Um, my daughter's at schoolies week. If you're listening, Dale, can you ring your mother? <laughs> now, I'm quite sure she had better things to do than listen to the ABC while she was on school this week. But, you know, all of a sudden he stopped being a politician and he was a dad. He was a human being. And one of the things that I like, uh, my last two books, Joe Hockey, and before that, Professor Ian Fraser, who developed the cervical cancer vaccine. Before that, the Barley Nine. And I think we see one side of these people to actually going and find out who they are I actually find a, a lovely thing to do. And sometimes you don't like what you find, sometimes you do. Like all of us, everyone's a mixed package, aren't they? But I, it's a type of journalism that uh, people are enjoying. And I think Kitchen Cabinet is an example of that. You wouldn't call it hard journalism. You wouldn't, it's not going to bring down a government, but you see an insight into someone and I think people really are enjoying that. Don't get me started on hard and soft journalism because I actually happen to think it's incredibly important and I think it's it's often not It shouldn't be hard or soft, it's both. It, it? it is, but I mean there is a you know, there's a perceived bifurcation and we always, I think, at these forums discuss hard what's discussed decided as hard journalism when yeah. often it's actually that other area of, of yeah. you know, tip very good journalism. Yeah, yeah, and, and human and I know what you're saying. Richard Biden's conversation. Even, even, um, yeah. When, when I overlay the, the, you know, the three things that I tell our people are important, and you know, and when I first did it, people, some people would work in the, you know, our features area and magazine world. Well, how does that, how does that pertain to me? You know, I'm, I'm running the, the motoring section now. Well, I said, well, of course it pertains to you. Yeah. you know, tell me about the, the great new car that I'm yeah. going to buy. To be first to tell me about that. You know, yeah. the caravan that, that I'll be able to tow with. And the context of its development. Yeah, too. And, and, yeah. And, it, and it works across all those different. It's always been a battle in journalism, though, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of, you know, whether you write for page There's a great snobbery, let's face it. We all know that. Um, Now, look, I'm just conscious of the time, and I want to invite... We can witter on for ages, (laughs) as is obvious, but would anybody like to join us and, um, you know, argue with us or debate and take things in a different direction? Because I'll happily follow you. Yes, please. Um, I just wanted to ask a question, actually. I'm Carla. I go to Notre Dame University. Um, I just wanted to ask about university students now, and probably to Joseph, and um, yeah, possibly Brett as well. Um, I think that my biggest fear is, like, I want to get into investigative journalism, but my biggest fear is the, the thing that you were talking about, how it's, I'm worried, like, what to go into if I should become a citizen journalist, or if I should work for a big company, and I don't know how to go about the money situation, and also, like, the privacy versus freedom of speech, and if I'm going to even get away with it or if I'm going to go to jail and I think it's this like I'm just you know in this space of like whether to pursue it you know to pursue that or it's just quite worrying I think as a student because we get told like oh you know there's all these laws against journalists and the Steve Pennells thing and with Gina Reinhart and stuff I think it's just really like it's just scary. Work work for us and we stand up for you we'll we'll keep you out of jail. But, but, you know, you but yeah, just before you go to this, Brett's exactly right. You know that idea of having a structure, a support structure? Yeah. You go to the ABC, you go to any big newspaper, and you know, you're taught that, that legal things. You're taught how to work. You have these mentors who have done it for 30 years sitting beside you, and if they're half decent, they'll turn and actually do something with you. 
pretty scary being your age and embarking on that without that infrastructure. If you stuff up, you stuff up in front of everyone. You stuff up on Brett's staff or on, you know, at, at the ABC, then you've got this protective measure before it's actually published. And the, and the techniques, you know, you've got Chris Masters there teaching you the techniques yeah. of investigative journalism. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. sorry, Joseph. Uh, thanks for the question. Uh, that's something I constantly grapple with because I work in academia and we sell a product. We sell courses to aspiring journalists. Why are journalists, uh, aspiring journalists coming there? What are we exactly selling to them? Are we selling them a career? So uh, people need to think about what it is that they are after uh, when they look at journalism as a vocation, a career option, a professional skill to acquire. I keep saying to people that the one of the greatest assets behind a journalism qualification is the transferability of the skill that you get. You can work in journalism and a whole host of other things where the very skills that you acquire through the study of journalism can be easily adapted to different environments. I'll leave that point there, but as for possibly the kind of uh, 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 negativism that might have emerged from what I said earlier about my worry and my concern and my fear, let me say that therein lies the opportunity. It is because of the very attempts by the establishment, by governments to constrain the flow of information that the pursuit and the quest for that hidden information becomes that much more marketable, that much more sought after. So here's where the journalist comes into play. And in that sense, that's a brilliant environment to be in. Uh, the Greyhound Racing, the HSBC Swiss accounts uh, was uh, September 11, an inside job. You know, uh, there's so many more stories to be told. And if you uh, are serious about pursuing that part of journalism as something that is passionately held by you, then there's plenty to do out there and uh, where others may drift away or be discouraged or shy from those stories. And in my recent research, I actually uh, came across journalists who told me I don't work with sources. Uh, and thankfully, they put up their hand to be contacted for a follow-up interview, and I asked, what did you mean when you said that you don't work with sources? And the person said, I work in real estate or entertainment or I simply avoid working in contentious areas because I'm trying to build up my career. I would have said to them, if you want to build up your career, work with sources. Get Wait, off your I hope I uh, provided some balance to my earlier negativism. There is huge, huge potential. I think it's increasing. The more governments try to constrain the flow of information, to massage the message that gets out there, I think the more the opportunities for journalism. You know, can I just say, yeah. for a very interesting piece, Michael Bachelard wrote a piece recently, and this is, an, I don't know whether you read it, in the, I think it was the Weekend Australian magazine, on going to West, to Papua, to West Papua and Papua. And he went up, he was, he's one of the very, very few journalists who's been in there, and I was so admiring. I read it last night on the plane coming over. I think I tore it out, so I don't think it was sort of last week. He went up there determined to, to do a report on the Indonesian military. And what he found, and he had the guts to say it, and it won't be, it won't be popular with a lot of the people reading it, that he actually found the greatest problem facing the Papuans were their own senior Papuans. That they were, as soon as they got, you know, they, they grabbed money, they left them, they left them with, they absolutely abandoned their villages, 
it was a terrible story actually about really, you know, p people without power eating each other up. And he said, I've described, there, were, there are terrible um, problems. So it was investigative, terrible problems with the Indonesian military. But actually, I came to the conclusion the greatest challenge for the ordinary people were their own um, big people who went up. And I thought, I really admired it as a piece of journalism, uh, and I thought now that's maybe not what you'd expect, you know. But it was dead set investigative journalism, but it didn't come out with the with the result that he thought he was going to find. But he opened his eyes and he saw what he saw and named it. That's a good tip too for people because that that idea of going with a preconceived idea and then fitting your preconceived idea around yeah. the, the subject is uh, is something that I have a really big problem with and you come back all you know, you can find other things that that are get your idea. Just going back to what you said though, if you really want to do it, um, I, you know, you, and you've got to really want to do it to, to get into the industry, um, you know, you shouldn't be discouraged by the difficulties that the industry is facing. I mean I, I I've got an optimism um, I look at um, you know, the fact that uh, we reach, uh, either in print or online, 1.9 million West Australians every month. Uh, you know, read us, 1.9 million people in, in a population of 2.5 million read stuff that we produce. So I think that there's going to be um, an ongoing model around you know, what we do, and I think we're, we're kind of future-proofing ourselves a little bit in what we're doing in our newsroom. So yeah, don't be discouraged by... The, the sort of things you hear if you really want to do it. And Joseph is right, if it, if it doesn't work out for you, if it doesn't work out you know, in the way that you envisaged it or you know, what, I mean, whatever, the skills that you've picked up um, along the way are pretty transferable to a lot of other things. But you know, I encourage you to you know, have a crack if you, if you really want to do it. Yeah. Anybody else want to take up? Can I raise, oh yes. Sorry, I've got a question from Madonna. Um, I'm just wondering if, you mentioned, Geraldine, that so many people are writing books, so many journalists are writing books these days. Do you think it's almost an antidote to the whole tweeting thing? It's almost a, a need to explain things in, in more than... Yeah, I, yeah, that's a really good observation. I'm not sure if it is or it isn't. I tweet as well. Um, I'm not sure that whole fast, 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 Yeah, fast, maybe fast, it is, thing. and we all want to slow it's down a little bit. Well, it's, I certainly find it a luxury. Um, yeah, I think that's a really interesting observation. I'm not sure if that's how I see it, but maybe an audience does. Yeah. Um, I wanted to raise a, a little dilemma. That if you watched um, 60 Minutes and the coverage of the Lint siege, like two weeks ago, I thought there was an incredibly big thing that came out of that. And I don't know whether everybody else here thought the same thing, um, which was the fact that that Mon Monis hearing um, news reports go to air saying that all the people had got out and he suddenly realised he'd missed the two girls who'd been under the, the table and he suddenly, that made him a lot more agitated and frankly it was highly dangerous. And I thought, wow, what are the implications? The implications of that are simply massive. Does that suggest that there's got to be it's almost like, you know, the old Dino's time sort of thing, that you've got to shut down all, all um, like the, the police did ask, every, as we all know, that there was a great decision by people like, you know, old journos like Peter Meekin said, well, we decided we had to go with them. And they shut down a lot of their coverage and they refused to put all those reports to air. But 
But the fact is, by accurately reporting to the people of Australia what had happened, they risked the lives of those people inside that cafe. That was a huge thing to... Did you think... Did that strike you? I, I think that with the ability to turn on TV and see um, a picture of someone about to be beheaded or, you know, war in our, in our lounge rooms, the new means of delivery brings on us responsibilities we've never had before. Mm-hmm. And it's a balancing thing. Is you don't want to censor something, um, but you don't want to cause someone's death. I think you've got to be guided by the emergency services and and you hope that your relationship with them is that they see value in the public being alerted to information. But I come back to Brett's point. Does it really matter to you that you know how many people are in that cafe now as opposed to four hours' time? And well, it has been the cornerstone of our job, though. Either, that's, that's what's challenging about it. Yeah, yeah, and that's all very well to someone you know who, whose life is at risk, I think. And I think it's very easy for people to turn on the media and turn on to journalism. And if that had turned really bad and it could be traced back to the media reporting something, I think the media acted really responsibly in that. You know, they could have put him to air at any point that he found radio, TV. um, But you you can't say, oh, take the high mighty ground thing. We have access to this information. We're going to publish or be damned. I think but there was a whole yeah, you're right. There was a whole lot of stuff on YouTube, you know, that afternoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Of that, Facebook. Um, but, but the media did but that not doesn't make it publish. right. Um, no, no, but no, I'm saying that yeah, yeah. they he, he forced them to put those videos yeah, up on did. Facebook and, and, they, and they were sitting there in newsrooms around the country knew they were well, there no, and they also knew extraordinary. Um, and extraordinary. it was it was yeah, you know, it was very uh, I think for, for anyone editing um, any sort of you know, news bulletin, whether whether it be on you know, radio, online, newspapers, whatever, it was, it was a stressful day because, and, well, and we were, we were you know, a little removed from it here, but you know, we had to keep across it too because our people were finding stuff and going, we've seen this. You know, I know. You go, well, hang on, you know, the, the police are saying these things. And I think the media was pretty responsible. They were, but I mean, and, but that, that report, I don't yeah. know, how, I mean, that report got out yeah. and frankly it could have, I mean, they, they calmed him down by yeah. very deft argument, but that was highly dangerous. Now, so maybe what it means is when something is underway and there's an exercise or there's an event under perceived to be a live event, the the usual live coverage that has been so, um, you know, the hallmark of 24, it's got to stop. It's got to be. I don't know if it's got to stop. It doesn't have to stop. I think it's a caution. I think Madonna was was right. You know, um, be guided. You know, we, we need, we have to trust and be guided by the emergency authorities, the police and whoever's running an event like that and kind of, you, 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 I reckon you quickly get a feel for you know, what the police are saying and, and they don't want oh, certain yeah. information. So you get a feel for that and you, you have to make those but decisions. It's, it's and, becoming and harder as, as social media cover it. Yeah. So it wasn't only people in, at your newspaper watching it on YouTube, no, people you know, everywhere. Thousands of people yeah. saw those those things and uh, that weren't broadcast they didn't, But they didn't see, did they see the girls come out? Because um, what was interesting was how so much, so much of what came out the other day yeah. we we hadn't even seen those. Yeah. Far. I couldn't believe it. I can yeah. I just thought where was the media? Like there's so many questions about yeah. that siege that we're finding out only now. So I guess like, it, where was the media? Yeah. Well, I guess it was. Uh, <laughs>
by the time that all finished up, it was, what, 2.30, 2am. Yeah. Mind you, we all watched it over here, you know, because of the three-hour difference. It was a lot earlier, and a lot of people were still watching that, that those things live uh, unfold. And, yeah, uh, that was just difficult. A, a dilemma that I think is one of the interesting... I, I think you walk into any, any, any newsroom, any, any environment, those dilemmas, you know, and they're critical in, on days like that, but there's, there's a dilemma every day yeah. about publishing stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it never ends. There's something... There's a quest. There's questions at every point of every day but, across know, all media. It's just what what we do. But whether we should be doing like you know that's what the, Peter Meekin said. He learned from that terrible the siege. You know that Mike Willis he talked to the gunman. Yeah. yeah. Remember the famous yeah. just starts with a C. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and that was and that was decided that was really wrong. Wrong. Yeah. Um, so, and then the police said that was really wrong. So that was yeah. a learning. Yeah. But there's an irony, isn't it? We don't cover suicide. We say you know. There's an incident on the bridge and there's a traffic jam because, you know, the, the natural wisdom that is changing is that it's a topic that we don't address in that way and yet we've got these live pictures coming from a, a cafe of people whose life is in the balance. And it's, it's throwing up all those little... It's incredibly complicated. Can I just uh, jump in there? Um, <clears throat> it, it's a very pertinent question that you raise um, and it leads us to think about whether the media is uh, meant to be confined to its role as an agent for the transmission of information or when it finds itself in a position where it becomes a player exactly. in events, exactly. then can it be a player for good, and it can, or does it become an agent for harm, as mm -hmm. the hypothetical scenario <coughs> pointed. And I go back to my preferred position. My preferred position is leave it to the media people in charge. Because what is the alternative? The alternative is to say, you don't know how to do this. Let's get Parliament to come in and tell us yeah. how to do it. And to me, that's not an attractive option. Except that if the media becomes absolutely... I mean, this, uh, this is not the, the position you might expect me to take, but if you have this massive competition um, even the way seven and nine battled over that the other week. Mm -hmm. I thought there were some unseemly aspects of that, and all of that checkbook journalism. Yep, yep, yep. Didn't know how much I could yep. rely on it. Yep. You know, yep. very murky, tricky yep. area. Yep. We haven't even got a coroner's report. There were two people dead in that. Yep. You know, oh, we weren't talking about little sure. theoretical picnics. Mm -hmm. Two people died. Yep. So. Mm, I'm not as confident as you <laughs> in that judgment. I'm not. I, I leave uh, Brett Mount's defence. Yeah. No, I, I think you know, a lot of it comes down to what you, your audiences will keep you in line as yeah. well. Um, I and think. you're not fighting for regulation, are you? Yeah. No, I'm fighting no. for. I, I agree with you. I no, think I'd I take think. the 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 police. You know, the people in charge yeah. of charged yeah. with getting those people out and finishing an episode that was disrupting the life of the city. I think they should be. Um, I would take their advice. Mm, I agree yeah. with you. Yeah. But I was surprised that one way and the other, something got out and the police didn't know about it yeah. that actually threatened the lives of those people. I thought yeah. that was a very yeah. challenging moment for the media, yeah. which hasn't had much coverage. No. <laughs> um, okay, given that we're just, we're just, just almost at... So, best hopes, worst fears in about a minute. Start that in. Okay, Jason. Uh, okay, yeah, uh, I'll, uh, I'll refer to this paradox. On the one hand, uh, like never before, we are faced with increasing challenges 
presented by state attempts to control the flow of information and thereby uh, severely, potentially undermine uh, democracy itself. And on the other hand, uh, what's uh, the message out of that for journalists? Uh, I see a great deal of hope uh, for uh, interpret journalism, for people who are driven by passion for the craft, go back to basics, what is journalism? We need to uh, reaffirm our commitment to the core principles of journalism and then decide if that's what we want and that's what is needed and society must get right behind us and recognise that good journalism doesn't come cheap. Great. Yeah, and that's probably you know, a good point for, for me to start my fear and my fear is that the, you know, the, the commercial uh, model continues to un unravel and we can't pay for the sort of journalism that uh, the community uh, deserves and expects. Um, but on the, on the other side of that, my hope is um, that uh, that won't be the case, and I think that there's uh, you know, there's indications that uh, that uh, we may be you know, working our way through some of that. Um, doesn't affect necessarily. Well, it does. Of course, it affects it affects the ABC as well. You know, you've, you've, had, you've had the same the, the, the same problems. So, uh, I think my, my great um, my great hope for it is that uh, uh, even though we'll have all these you know great tools and we can tell stories in a whole lot of different ways, whether it be by characters on Twitter and you, know, you can see video on screens and uh, that uh, we, we don't lose and that uh, the, 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 the basics and fundamentals that Joseph said of journalism, um, of, of finding out information that uh, often others don't want us to find out, that uh, that's what uh, young journalists coming up still hold on to and still want to do into the future. And, I, and I've and I've got real hope that that is the, that is the case from everything that I've seen uh, of, of the young people in the industry. Yeah. Um, I think that journalism is like on a theme park ride and, <laughs> um, and who knows how fast it's going to go and where it's going to go and what's around the next corner. But I think two things will hold it in good stead. That is, any journalist, anyone publishing information who has the focus on content. Don't worry about the method of delivery, it's the content of what you're offering people. And the second thing is the ethics you employ. And I think that will very quickly separate those that you want to follow, you want to read, uh, and those that you don't. And I think, you know, as an industry, probably it would be, we need to keep an eye on, you know, how, how we get stories, how they're, they're delivered in terms of ethics, so that we remain, a, you know, and that will, I think, shine out gradually. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe I could just say, if you look overseas, the people like The Economist and is, is doing more and more... They're getting people to pay more and more for their content because yeah. they do a very definite content and it's high, high quality. Similarly with, say, the Financial Times. In fact, my, my fear, and I actually think... You know, I'm sort of obsessed with the business of, of what you can charge for, which... Uh, and it's actually the big, broad, general newspapers like the West and the City Morning Herald, they're the ones that I think are really having to redefine themselves in terms of that broad church content and whether people are prepared to pay for that. Because I actually think the high end, there's now a real little habit creeping in that people pay for it. And they, I think they may well pay quite a bit more for it, actually. Um, I think there's quite a lot of elasticity there. That's why we, you know, we, we'll focus, um, we focus on niches. As well, yeah, we know where the broad church 
but the, the niches are where we can yep. you know, hang on to I people. Agree. You know, we've, we've, I agree. we've put a lot of effort into our Gee, I'm happy. This has been wonderful. I love hearing uh, this from an editor of the web. We, we put a lot of effort. We've put a lot of effort in the last few years into our business coverage, and and, and mainly because you know, not only because of the, the local um, aspect of that, but also the fact that there's a lot of interest in what's going on in this state sure. from elsewhere, yeah, and sure. when we can see there's a bit of a model, uh, paid for model around that outside of our own state. Uh, and that's where we've put some effort. So, yeah, yeah, we'll work it out, I reckon. Well, I think this is infinitely more optimistic than I thought it might be. So would you please thank Madonna, Brett and Joseph? Thank you. Thank you.